Hello and welcome to Between the Likes. I'm Amanda Lauren. Today I have a really good show. This was such a fun one. I recorded with Claire and Erica from A Thing or Two, which is one of my favorite podcasts. Um, If you don't know who they are, you might not. They had a website called Of A Kind, and it was just like the cutest finds, really interesting decor items. Um, And it got bought out by Bed Bath & Beyond, and then it was shut down a year ago by Bed Bath & Beyond, which kind of sucks. Um, And this episode is about that. We do talk design advice, life. We also talk about that business journey, which I think is really important because I always wonder, I mean, just like, I really do. When large businesses buy small businesses and then shut them down, I'm like, well, what was the point of that? Um, And so we sort of talked about how that ended up happening and how the company sort of ended right before COVID hit and how it gave them, you know, time to do things and reevaluate and how it kind of ended up. I mean, listen, was it preferable? Probably not. Did they end up really making the best of it and things working out? Absolutely. And I think that's something that's really helpful for today, especially because I think we're all under so much pressure. And I know with me, I'm like, okay, when are things going to happen? Why are things happening this way? Why won't the fucking elevator come on time? Because I have to go to plate fit. Um, And everyone is stressed out. Mercury's retrograde. It's been a fucking week, let me tell you. Um, And it's only Thursday. So it's, it's not even, it's not even ended yet. But I just think it's a strange season for, for everyone. Not like the season of autumn. It's funny. I feel like this is not a term. I feel like the term season is something that a lot of like religious podcasters or a lot of podcasters that were brought up like in a certain faith use. And I have a feeling it's a biblical term, but I don't really know a season. And I just really like that expression. So I'm sort of stealing it. It's been a difficult season for everyone. Um, And I just think talking about it does make things feel better. And I think it's funny. I've been seeing in Facebook groups too, people are just really really stressed. Everyone is like, okay, when are we making an end to this? And no one has any idea. Um, And there's so much negativity. And I just think, listen, if you're feeling shitty and I felt shitty like 4,000 times this week, it's okay. You're not alone. Everyone else feels shitty too. No one knows when this is going to end. And we're all really just doing the best we can. Um, And that's also something that we talk about a little bit on the podcast as well. Um, Upcoming episodes too. We have some really good, I haven't, I don't want to jinx myself. I get very nervous talking about something before it happens, even though it's very likely to happen. But I am recording with two amazing people. I Like one, I can't even believe it's happening because it's kind of a bucket list thing for me. Um, And I'm supposed to record with this person tomorrow. Um, And it might be out earlier than next Thursday if you're listening to this episode when it comes out. Um, Because I'll probably put it out on Monday. So usually I try to record these things in advance or, I mean, that's the plan. I mean, listen, it's, we're on episode three or something. So usually it doesn't really mean a lot. Um, but I want to try to put this out every Thursday, but I think next week, cause you're supposed to be consistent as a podcaster, but I think next week 
it will be out early because this is a celebrity, a very big reality star. Again, I'm jinxing it. Like, like what are you going to do? Um, and okay, I'll drop like a little hint. He comes from a very, very famous family of reality television, not the Kardashians. One, I couldn't get the Kardashians to, I have no idea what I would actually say to like Rob Kardashian if I were um, interviewing Rob Kardashian. Because when you say he and famous family from reality TV, like everyone's first guest, I assume is like Rob Kardashian or I don't know, the people from Duck Dynasty. I've never watched that show. I only know about it through like, TMZ. <laughs> like, who are the other? A Duggar? Um, no, I guess they're sort of a famous reality family. No, it's, it's not a Duggar. It's not a Kardashian. It's not someone that doesn't shower. Um, it's someone else from a very famous reality TV family. And I'm just super, super excited for that. Um, and so we're going to talk to that. Oh, this is another hint. It's going to be sort of a Halloween-based episode about haunted houses. So... I'm I'm really looking forward to putting that out for you. Um, and then we'll probably do a solo episode or two. Then I have some other interesting people um, coming on, and I'm just I'm just super excited for what is to come. A lot of people too have been coming to me asking for decorating advice, etc. So I think that there'll be some more solo shows that are like that. If you want me to do a specific episode or you want me to cover something or you have questions, please DM me. My Instagram is at it's Amanda Lauren, I-T-S-A-M-A-N-D-A-L-A-U-R-E-N. It's also in the show notes. Uh, let me know what you want to hear. Um, or if you have any feedback for the show. Also, if you will take a minute to rate it, it, literally, by the way, it's like two taps and you can rate the show five stars. So if you could do that, that would be great. And obviously hit that subscribe button. And if you want to write a review, I am really, really grateful for that as well. Anyway, oh, one more note. So when we did this podcast, if it sounds a little bit weird at first, I just wanted to say that there was they were on the East Coast and I'm on the West Coast. And this happens every single time I have a conference call, which is like there's some sort of time confusion. So I usually, it's, I'm actually really embarrassed by this. I usually have a list of questions in front of me and I didn't for this episode because it was three hours early, the, earlier than I anticipated. But I think it was really good. I'm so thankful for for Claire and Erica to come on. It's a great one. Please, um, please give it a listen and um, enjoy. Hello and welcome to Between the Likes. I'm Amanda Lauren today. I'm so excited to have Erica Cerullo and Claire Mazur, who are known as it's Claire and Erica. I'm sorry, it's Erica and Claire.com. Claire and Erica.com. No, Claire and Erica. But we actually don't even we we now have a new website called a thing or two hq.com. Okay. So it's now, I know there are like multiple websites because I've listened. <laughs> I know because I was listening to some new ones. I was listening to some older ones. There's a lot of content out there. Yeah. Um, and I'm just killing this interview so far. So <laughs> that's always great. They are the founders of Of a Kind, which was a great place to buy decor, which eventually got bought out by Bed Bath and Beyond. And so I sort of wanted to, how did you get that started? And how do you end up going into decor? Because I think everyone's store is everyone's story is really interesting of how you sort of end up in this. And it's usually yeah. not what people think. Yeah. 
Claire, do you want to talk about how, how we started of a kind? Sure. Um, so Erica and I have been friends since 2002. We met as undergrads at the University of Chicago, and then we both moved to New York after school. And Erica started working in magazines, and I was working on sort of in in the art world. And we came up with the idea for of a kind as a way to introduce audiences to emerging designers. We had always bonded over shopping together. We loved buying from young designers, people who no one had ever heard of before. When we were in school in Chicago, um, you know, in the early 2000s, there was still a sort of like indie design scene there that was really exciting. And we wanted to really replicate that experience online for people who didn't have like interesting shopping communities where they lived. And we also really liked the idea of giving... uh, younger sort of like smaller designers an opportunity to sell their pieces and tell their stories. And so the concept was that we would work with emerging designers to create limited edition pieces that we would sell on the site in conjunction with a series of stories about the designers. So we were really early to this idea of combining content and commerce that's now just, you know, expected that, right, if you're going to do retail online, you're going to tell the story. But back when we started, this wasn't happening as much. And so we were really sort of developing a new model in this way that felt really crucial for this concept of like getting people to care about designers they'd never heard of before. And so we started with fashion, but we did in pretty early on start introducing home decor because we were at a point where Pinterest especially, and then a little bit later Instagram was really making people in our peer group and in our demographics start to care about what their homes looked like in a way that they hadn't before because all of a sudden everybody was taking pictures of their home. People were curating their own Pinterest boards and there was um, a real demand all of a sudden for interesting home pieces. And I think, you know, Claire and I have always just been interested in good design more than we were ever interested in like fashion with a capital F. Um, (laughs) And I think we discovered that our audience felt the same way. They just wanted things that were interesting and different and well-made. And so we started dabbling in other product categories outside of women's, you know, fashion and and accessories. Um, And, you know, we would get into stationery or we get into personal care. Um, We got into like kids and baby. Um, And I think when we were doing it, we didn't really think about the way that the idea of like a lifestyle brand um, or the idea of like a lifestyle shop um, would become such the thing that it is now. Like, of course, now you go into a a, like furniture store and expect to see books and magazines and maybe some jewelry and um, maybe even like fresh flowers. And that just was not a thing that was happening in 2010 when we started the business or even, you know, like 2014. That's so, that's so interesting. I feel like it was in a lot of ways, a little bit ahead of its time. We think so. We do. (laughs) It's just, so eventually it became a huge thing and you ended up getting bought out by Bed Bath & Beyond, which I think is fascinating because it's such a huge retailer and they also own Bed Bath & Beyond. It's also World Market. It's also Bye Bye Baby. They own One King's Lane, I think, as well. They did. Yeah. They recently sold it, um, but they bought One King's Lane shortly after they acquired Of A Kind um, and a couple of other companies, too. There's some that they they still own. They just went went through a big leadership change, but um, before that, they'd owned quite a few companies. And I think there was something that was happening sort of around the time that our company was acquired that you were starting to see in the 
um, sort of big retailer space in that they were um, seeing what was happening in the startup world and seeing the innovation that was coming out of that world. And and so the move was for these bigger retailers to acquire more nimble, more agile, small companies um, to help bring change more quickly instead of trying to just like uh, build something internally from the ground up. Um, and so I think Nordstrom is a big player in that space that um, was was uh, really smartly acquiring um, some businesses. Walmart acquired Bonobos and Mod Cloth. Um, so our acquisition um, for Bed to Bed Bath was, I think, sort of in line with other things that you were seeing in that world. And what is it like when you have to, because obviously when it's your brand, okay, you get to make the decisions, especially when you're the founder. At the end of the day, it really is, even though there are other people there, it's still you. If you don't like something, you can go another way. But yeah. what is it like when you're dealing with a huge and like a really bureaucratic cor- corporation and yeah. how much of it becomes, because you have your brand and you have the story of it and you have that identity and is it still your identity? Does it become part of Bed Bath and Beyond's identity? Because, in my opinion, I mean, listen, Bed Bath and Beyond has a lot of great things. When you need things that are really, they do have decorative, but I do think of it more as like sort of a utilitarian kind of sure. store. Like I have a towel, like a towel tower rack thing that has a built-in <laughs> hamper, and it's like it's not really my style. It's great because I can just, I have a big bathroom and I have no linen closet. So it it works. And I look at this thing and I'm like, this isn't my style, but it's literally the most functional thing that, that I own. So how does, again, which is opposite of, of a kind. So how do you work with a brand that has the mentality that's completely the opposite of, of yours? So... I, we have to give a lot of credit to the CEO, the former CEO of Bed Bath & Beyond, Stephen Tamaris, who was you know, largely responsible, obviously, for the acquisition. He very much understood that our brands were really different, and it was really important to him that we have as much autonomy as possible. And I will also give credit to our boss at the time, Scott Hames, who led marketing at Bed Bath & Beyond while we were there. And both of them really understood that our brands were not the same. They understood that they that there was a real risk in um, sort of diluting of a kind's brand if we tried to align it too closely with Bed Bath & Beyond. And so they gave us what to me seemed like a really unprecedented amount of autonomy um, in terms of like as, as far as acquisitions tend to go. We really got to steer the ship. I will say the challenging part, the thing that I never really could wrap my head around how to handle was that was when it came to like money things and salary negotiations with our employees, where when you own your own business, the buck stops with you and you know exactly how much money you have and how much money you don't. And when an employee is asking you for a raise or a promotion or whatever it is, it's up to you. And in a lot of cases, the answer is just like, I simply can't, right? Because I were working and the with answer's a really in your books pool. And yeah. you know, that's yeah. that. And I never really figured out exactly how to handle that when once we joined Bed Bath, you know, I want, it was really hard for me to say to people like, it's not up to me ultimately. Like I want to give you a raise and I, but I don't get, I, think I don't get to be the one to decide. Right, yeah. Right. Um, so that, that was challenging. And of course there were so many challenges 
when it came to, you know, as, as you mentioned, the bureaucracy of a business like that. And, but they tended to be more behind the scenes when it came to things like finances and operations, um, from an external perspective, we, we, and from like sort of a customer facing perspective, we really got to keep things the same, which was, um, really to the credit of, of, uh, some people in leadership there who understood how important it was. And I think, Amanda, you you made a really good point that our businesses were so different. And just that I think that difference um, really benefited us because I think there was an understanding on both parts that we like actually didn't, we didn't understand exactly how the other business operated. Um, and that gave us some outside perspective, both, you know, our boss giving guidance to us and us giving feedback on the bed bath business. Um, but it meant that no one was an authority coming in and saying like, well, this is how you got to do it because this is how we've done it for 40 years. <laughs> that's, that's super interesting. And so ultimately, so you were working with them, it was still your brand. And then what happens? Because it ended two years, it was 2019. It's the pandemic has made me, I'm always like, what year are we in? And <laughs> where we, are we? What's happening? We're actually coming up on exactly the one year anniversary of the it shutting year. down. Yeah. How does that, because I feel like it's like you've worked so, first of all, it was a really successful brand. You also had a collab with Target before that, which to me is just like the dream. Like, you know. Us too. Us too. <laughs> you know you've arrived when you have a collab with Target. Like, that's like the be all and end all, in in my opinion. Um. But what do you do when you've been working at this? And even though obviously like you've benefited from selling it and it's still, I assume you do partially own it or you have some sort of stake in it. So at that point, emotion, by the time it shut down, the only Mm -hmm. stake we had in it was emotional. And obviously, you know, we were, it was, we were paid by the business, but, but yeah, we didn't, we didn't own, we had, we'd sold 100% of it to Bed Bath & Beyond. They, shut it down in the midst of a really big leadership change and sort of restructuring at the company. Um, And yeah, it was incredibly challenging. You know, we had been working on it for nearly 10 years at that point and it had been operational for nine years. And um, yeah, it, it was a huge sort of shift in, I think our identities and what our day to day look like, looks day to days looked like in terms of our priorities. And we really wrestled a lot with, what do we do now? And what is like the right way to handle this? You know, do we, everyone would say like, oh, you, sh- you need to take a break and do absolutely nothing. Or like, you need to figure out what your next thing is and like, you know, get moving on that or whatever. And we didn't, it's, we didn't have an idea of what the next thing was. We also didn't fully understand how to go about taking a break um, or like how to What's benefit that? from a take. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it was an, it was a weird time. And then it, it bled right into the weird time that was, that it is 2020. <laughs> oh and my what, God. We, what we did do is we decided really early on, um, that we wanted to continue some of the content that we were producing, mm-hmm. um, when we were part of, of a kind in different forms. So we wanted to keep up sending a newsletter and keep up a podcast. Um, and I think those things helped us have even just a little bit of structure after we came out of, you know, this and a little bit of continuity um, to have this sense of, okay, we have these weekly things that we know we're doing um, and that will help us still feel connected and engaged with the people that we've been connected and engaged with for a decade now. Um, And from there, we've been taking on consulting projects and things like that. And I think 
for us, it's about trying to give ourselves a little bit of space to figure out what it is that we're really excited about and passionate about and want to do next and like want to take on in a big way. Um, and trying not to pressure ourselves, especially right now when there's just so much constant change, the idea of throwing yourself into something really big in 2020 feels particularly challenging. Well, it's where they talk about toxic positivity, which is such an interesting statement. And like, I think about it all the time. All I think about, I'm like, on one hand, you know, I should be doing this, that, and the other. And, you know, part of my life as like a writer and creator, and I'm sure it's, listen, in LA, and I'm sure it's the same way in New York, there are events, more events that I could ever go to eight days a week, 17 times a day. And But like the fun part of my job was like, okay, I'm behind a computer. I'm working from home, but it's like, oh, I get to go out or I get to walk a red carpet or it's Mm -hmm. a little, it's hard not to feel like things are glamorous and exciting when someone is giving you champagne on a tray and like a, you know, a past app, like, yeah, it's great. But then you just sort of, you're like, I don't have that anymore right now. And you're like, I'm creating my own reality. And then there's the panic kind of sets in of like. Yeah. Not having control over anything. Yeah. And it's like, where, where do you two find balance? Because it just, it sounds like the timing was just so unideal. Just. Well, but here's the thing. I mean, I think it, in some ways the timing was really not ideal, but in other ways we are so grateful that we don't have a team to be worrying about at this point. We got to have that, those conversations, we got to help, you know, as much as we could, those people find their next step before all of this happened. Um, We didn't have to do Zoom layoffs, which is an incredibly challenging thing. We have not had to navigate (laughs) sending out emails about, you know, a new vase or a pair of earrings on a day when something horrific has happened. Um, I mean, we had plenty of those in the past, but, you know, nothing on 2020. Um, I think there have been a lot of upsides of not having to get our footing during this time and watching so many businesses that we love have to shutter without having the closing party that we got to have. Um, or those moments of, you know, customers writing just like emails that legit made you cry. Um, I think we're really thankful to have gotten the like ending that we got. That's an amazing, an amazing perspective. And I think it takes a lot to feel that way. And I I agree. The situation with small businesses right now, I mean, I live in, how familiar are you with LA? Pretty familiar. So I live like in Larchmont. Okay. Trina Turk. And I was actually in the, and like, yeah, I like say this from place of privilege. I did go to the Hamptons for two months this summer, but I live in a one bedroom apartment and my in-laws have a house there. Yeah. Yeah. A little space. And we came back after two months and Trina Turk was closed, which I never thought of as a small business, but now that I think about it, it kind of is. Yeah. 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 I I just, I almost cried. I was just like, What like I feel bad because I know they worked so hard building out that store and I mm-hmm. knew the people that worked and all of a sudden and I just I couldn't believe and there's the local bookstore also is now closing and I'm just like this is so unfair. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really upsetting. And you know, in a lot of ways, what you're describing, I think unfortunately was already in motion and and the realities of 2020 really just sped it up. And I think if there could be a silver lining, which, you know, is not even the, the appropriate term for this, but like, but I, 
I do think what's happening now is causing a lot of people to understand how they're spending impacts the world around them, right? And that when you opt to buy something on Amazon instead of your local bookstore, that is ultimately contributing to the eventual close of that local bookstore and the loss to your community of that local bookstore. And so I, our hope and something that we try to talk about with some frequency on the newsletter, on the podcast, and then also sort of demonstrate through our newsletter is that there is value in supporting small businesses and it's and it goes beyond just like those businesses getting bigger or better it it's a uh it's it it means something to your community it means something to the economy at large there's and it's an important thing to do I was just I was just um, this morning noticing that McNally Jackson, which is one of our local mm-hmm. bookstore um, chain, I guess they have like a mini chain with three or four stores. They've launched a fairly like aggressive or at least straightforward campaign um, about the value of your local bookstore versus Amazon, and they hung signage in their stores that says things that say things like "books curated by real people, not a creepy algorithm." Mm-hmm. Um, and I and think it's actually. You- I think like a bunch of the independent bookstores in New York are all part are all, of this campaign yeah, and doing like, this, like, like yeah. a coalition thing. Yeah. Which is great. I feel like when I go, I used to love to go and I know it was a big business, but I used to mm-hmm. love to go to borders on like 57th and park. Mm-hmm. You could just get lost there. I mean, isn't and, it an incredible irony that in you've got mail, they were the big bad wolf and now they're uh-huh. the ones that we mourn. Like I now know. they, they're the, the like, I mean, well, they're well, Barnes and Nobles is still around, but Borders not. And yeah, but they were it's like crazy. the medium giant, not our corporate yeah. overlord. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, there was something about it. the experience of going to a bookstore and just getting lost in a bookstore, even if mm-hmm. it's just like for half an hour. There's something really beautiful about that. And I feel like it's like it's like discovering like treasure, but you're an adult. Like, ooh, what's here? What does this say? And that's well, lost. And I have a two-year-old son now, and I have such distinct memories of being a kid in the kids' section of a bookstore and spent, you know, being able to spend hours and doing that and discovering, you know, books that way as a kid. And I'm just so hopeful that he gets to have that experience for himself. He will. I mean, and there's always the library, too, with kids. Yeah, yeah. it's, It's so hard. I can't imagine trying to be a parent right now. Um, And that's definitely something for me in the future. But I just, how do you like, what is parenting like right now for you? Just at this weird time. I just feel so fortunate every day that my child is not school age and that we have childcare um, and that we have had that throughout, you know, this pandemic. And I, I just can't complain um, because it's, um, if anything, you know, he's been the real bright spot in some really dark moments and I don't have to explain to him what's going on and I don't have to figure out how to manage Zoom school and I don't have to, um, you know, look out for his well-being while trying to answer emails at the same time. And I feel so deeply for the parents who who do have to deal with all of that. So that's been like the thing throughout all of this that I have really clung to as and just realized that I'm I I feel wildly fortunate for it. That's you two just both have such a good perspective. Now you decided to continue your podcast. How do you make so I had a podcast called Things We're Too Lazy to Blog About with my friend <laughs> Allie, who 
I feel like you two should be on her podcast. It's she just changed the name to everything, but it was called Stripped <laughs> on a show called Stripped on Bravo. Um, and it was really hard to make our podcast work after she had her child because it's LA and she lived 45 minutes from me, which yeah. is which could be three hours in traffic. And it was just so hard to coordinate all the schedules between the baby. And ultimately, we put it on hiatus because we're like, this is impossible to work. How do you two make it work? Because you two have a very similar vibe to to what Allie and I had. We spent a lot of time, I think, thinking about this and navigating this even before Claire had Cam. Um, And even when Claire was like thinking about having a kid. Um, And, you know, our business relationship has been so core to our adult lives. We've been business partners since we were 26 and 27. um, And, you know, we're now 36, no, 37 and 38. No, 36 and 37. 36 and 37. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, the math on this shouldn't be that hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Not long uh, ago. Yeah. Um, and so I think because this relationship is so core and because we had been on such similar trajectories, especially with our careers and work, we it, the fact that Claire was going to have a kid and was going down that path and the fact that I knew that I wasn't, this was something that we really chose to spend a lot of time like digging into and uh, sussing out our various insecurities and anxieties about it and making sure that we made that space for each other. But those are conversations that, again, like I think if we weren't in the kind of business relationship that we were in, we probably wouldn't have had and it probably would have still benefited us. And How do you balance that friendship in business, though? Because I think it's not always easy. I think the the thing that doesn't come as naturally even though you'd think it should, is making time for the friendship and um, putting in the time to say, like, we're going to take a walk, we're going to do this thing that is not about work, and we're just going to be there for each other as friends. And um, it, and you, we feel the effects of it when we haven't gotten around to doing that, you know, because we do work so closely. There's so much um, that is communicated non-verbally and that, you know, that we just assume. And so when we're not in sync, things can start to go awry or get tense or whatever. Um, so I think just making sure that you're sort of putting some goodwill, goodwill deposits in the bank, um, as our, I think our management coach says, <laughs> I think that that really helps everything run smoothly. Hold on. I'm so sorry. Hold on one second. My, my computer has decided to like eat all of its power. Mine is, yeah, I don't have a lot either. (laughs) I I was going to say, I can also just like make this short. I was going to say, I can ask you and then I'll ask Erica, how do you recommend people curate objects? Because that was your whole business was curating objects. And I think sometimes there's so much choice. Like there are, so many things you you can have. And personally, sometimes I just rotate stuff in and out because I feel like I'm lucky enough to have so much stuff, but eventually it just becomes cluttered. So how do you choose? How do you pick? How do you buy? And where do people find it? Where do you personally find things? So I think in terms of choosing, I think Part of what happens, especially these days, is we're exposed to so many different styles and so many different aesthetics that it can be hard to identify like what really resonates with you uh, in a way that would compel you to actually own it and display it, right? Because I 
personally, I can appreciate so many different styles and aesthetics, but I now know because I've spent so much time thinking about this, which of those I appreciate in a way that like feels personal to me and feels like it reflects my personal taste and which are like wonderful, but not for me. Um, so I think taking the time to observe whether that means like going to museums, going to shops, like surfing around the internet and understanding what all, what all of the different styles are that are out there and what really feels like you. And I think that can take time. Like I think in a lot of ways that didn't really settle for me until I was in my thirties. Um, and I was really like, okay, I can appreciate lots of different things, but some of them, but only some of them are for me. Um, and in terms of sourcing, I mean, we, because we've been in this business for 10 years, just have such a, uh, a sort of mental roster of all of these different small, uh, small makers and, and retailers out there. I think I'm trying to think if there are any like big go-tos, um, I don't know, Erica, what do you think in terms of finding finding objects that are well curated? I mean, I, we really love Hawkins, New York. When you're talking about home decor, we really love something called Goody World. Um, there's a company called Slow Down Studio that does a really nice job. Um, um, Deuce and Deucin for mm-hmm. home, although it's not multi-brand. Um, Primary Essentials does a really lovely mm-hmm. job. Um, there's some, I think what we also have started to get better at, um, is just like tagging these things or saving these things somewhere when you kind of fall down a rabbit hole, maybe you see a cool lamp, um, that you're not going to buy right now, but doing a little bit of poking around and being like, Oh, this would be a good thing for me to remember next time I'm looking for something for my home or next time I'm looking for like a holiday gift for my sister or like whatever it is. Um, and you know, saving that thing as an Instagram bookmark or pinning, pinning things to Pinterest um, and even just like pinning the homepage of a store to remember to look at it, um, or, you know, a design studio or whatever, as opposed to a single item. It's, it's funny because even if you look, I think Instagram is so oversaturated. Oh yeah. I think a lot of, I think it's hard to find things. Pinterest, I just end up with all of these like Mormon mommy bloggers and they're <laughs> yes. crazy, but I do. And I love Target, but not as much as they do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's not always easy. I feel like there's just a glut of stuff and it's not always easy. And I think like even three years ago, Pinterest was great. And now I'm just, I don't get the value from it that, mm-hmm. that I, that I used to. And I think, I think we like, very, yeah. I think we very rarely use the like Pinterest explore page um, or the Instagram explore page. I think it's more like using those things as bookmarking and saving devices for yourself. Um, and I mean, I think a lot of it for both of us, I think is just like falling down rabbit holes of maybe mm-hmm. someone posts something in, you know, on Instagram of their house, we click on who makes the pillow. We like figure out the store that sells the pillow. We search for the pillow other places. We end up on like a different store that's actually like even cooler. And that's the mm-hmm. thing that gets saved. That, that's amazing. Like, like <laughs> you just have it down to, to a method. Um, I've now actually a little tip, which is like, I have different, I save Instagram posts using the save feature and yeah. I have little folders, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which I think is more, is more help. I mean, in certain ways, it, Instagram is not searchable the same way Pinterest is, but I feel it's like. It's really frustrating. 
Yeah. I know. I know. It it is. So how would you both describe your personal styles? Mm, I feel like I I would describe it badly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I don't I don't know at this point, honestly. Um yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I have a good answer either, especially when it comes to home decor. I mean, I, I really like, I like a neutral base for everything. And then I like sort of like interesting splashes of color um, on top of that. But I think, especially as I've gotten older, I just tend to uh, veer towards classics. However, I think I will speak for both of us that we've been a lot more excited about color these days, which I think is just a direct response to everything that's going on in the world. And the fact that everything feels so the same. We're at home. We just need something to spice things up a little bit. Like it feels very like, I'm going to wear a pink sweater. Why not? You know, (laughs) that's going to be my excitement for the day. I think we also like, like whimsy probably in different ways, but we're Mm -hmm. both like attracted to things that have a certain amount of like whimsy or like, just like, oh, that's like smart and charming. Mm -hmm. How do you find how do you find your sense of style? I mean, obviously like it takes a while, but do you have any other sort of tips for people who are just trying to decorate their home with objects and they just feel over? Cause I think there's so much overwhelm because there's just too much stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, my tip is take your time, do it slowly. Like, don't feel like I, I just moved into a new house in January. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, And I feel like there's a lot of pressure to like have it done. Um, I don't know what pressure from whom, but like from the ether, right. To like (laughs) move into a space and like have it done. Um, And I also feel like I've had other friends move into spaces recently who are like, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this and want to get it all right now. And I think in those cases, you end up just like making a lot of concessions or being like, I'm going to just like buy this thing because it's here. Um, And you end up not necessarily liking the thing long term. Whereas if you take your time and, you know, wait until you land on a coffee table or whatever that you absolutely love or a fruit bowl that you, you know, buy on a like trip that has some memory attached to it, those things just are more meaningful. Um, and you have like deeper connections with them and they're not just like stuff you have around. I think also just being mindful and trying to recognize patterns in when you're really responsive to something like this isn't about home style. It's about personal style. But I, at some point I realized that every woman on the street who passed me, who I was like, Ooh, I want to be her was always wearing like head to toe neutrals. And I was like, Oh, why aren't I just only buying neutrals then and becoming that woman that I'm always like, Ooh, look at her. So I think it's the same thing when it comes to home spaces. Like we're inundated with images of other people's homes. Pay attention to the ones that you're constantly responding to is like, that's where I want to be. And you're going to start to see patterns emerge, whether it's that they're all super minimal or they're all really pattern heavy, like you will start to notice that. That's a really good, that's a really good tip actually. It's very like, I'm like writing that down for, (laughs) I I feel like I've gone through like a style. I used to have really modern and then I went contemporary and now I'm like, no, I really like traditional and I just have a lot of stuff. And, and I think it's okay yeah. to embrace that too and say yeah. like, I'm someone who changes every couple of years and I'm going to go whole hog. I mean, our, we're good friends with uh, a woman named Jamie Beck, who's a really talented photographer and um, a pretty 
and I guess she's an influencer um, on Instagram. And she, since we have met her, has gone through like four or five different style phases from like 40s movie star to French provincial to like <laughs> downtown Tribeca, Carolyn Bassett style. And she just goes for it. And it's, and I fucking love it. It's like, she's like, this is what I'm doing now. I'm like, everything's black and white, downtown Tribeca, classic 90s vibes. And that's my vibe. And then, and then the next, she's moving to Provence and everything is French provincial and frilly and white and linen. And that's her thing. And that's totally okay too. And it's just, just like, know what you like, know what makes you happy. That's, that's awesome. So I know you two have to go soon, but what is, what is next for your podcast? I assume you're just going to keep going, but are there anything, anything interesting coming up? What is next for you two personally? Any interesting business ventures happening? Um, for the podcast, we are releasing a few gift guide episodes after Thanksgiving. Um, we did them last year and they were a huge hit. And we basically asked people um, ask listeners to send us who the hardest people they were to, who the hardest people to shop for on their list were. Um, and we just got amazing responses of things like my brother-in-law, but please do not suggest whiskey stones. Like, and the number of times whiskey stones were brought up in the responses for like a man in my life. But if you tell me whiskey stones, like I will murder you. Um, so we're excited to put out those queries and start doing that, like hunting. And just, um, about two months ago, we launched something called Secret Menu for our super fans that is a m- membership program where for four bucks a month, you get an additional newsletter from us each week, which has been a really fun way for us to put all the content into the world that we never felt like we had a space for. So we send out a free Monday newsletter and have for years and years and years. It was used to be called 10 Things, and now it's called A Thing or Two. And it's a list of 10 things from across every category you can imagine that the, we're really excited about. So it's like apps and recipes and books and something we just bought. Um, and then we have the podcast, but there have always been all these other things that we want to talk about that it didn't feel like were right for either medium. And so um, Secret Menu, which is this membership program, has been a really fun way to do that and to just engage with our fans on a sort of a deeper level. That's so, that's so nice. I miss the newsletter. It's so funny. Once a year, I'll have a conversation with a friend about daily candy. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Miss that newsletter too. Yeah. And I'm like, it would have been nice to have something like I'm thinking of, I need, I, and I'm like, this would have been so great. And now, I mean, I think it's been gone for like five years now, something like that. Yeah, something like that. And it's like, that was so not definitely more pleasant than, and I love the skim. It has a time and place, but I am on. But they're a different experience. Yeah. They're a yeah. very different experience. Different, yeah. yeah. That's, that's amazing. So where can people find you? So we are on the, on the world wide web at a thing or two HQ.com. And we're on Instagram at a thing or two HQ.com. And then our personal accounts it's are HQ. just our names. We're on oh, Instagram um, at a thing or two HQ. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Thank you both so much for being on. 